RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Hospital staff are to lose pay over their strike in February. Sunjun police say they've handed 12 detained Hong Kongers over to prosecutors and Constitutional Affairs Chief Eric Tung says it was medicine that put him to sleep during the CE's policy address this week. Hospital staff who took part in a strike in February to demand the closure of the border with the mainland are having pay deducted for the time they were off. The hospital authority says it believes this is a reasonable response to what was the unauthorised absence of some 7,000 doctors, nurses and other workers. Ivan Law from the Hospital Authority Employees Alliance, which organised the five-day strike, agrees that it's a fair move. This is quite mild, I think, and no further punishment uh, under the HR policy. And I think this showed us the power of uh, uniting all the members and doing the industrial actions in the same way that all the participating members reply in the same way so that it is the power of all the members that join the strike and that's the power of the solidarity. That's why they cannot do the further punishment to fire all 7,000 participating members. Sunjem police say they've completed their investigation into 12 young Hong Kong people arrested for allegedly entering mainland waters illegally. The case has now been passed to prosecutors. Jimmy Choi reports. In a notice, the Yantian Detention Centre says the Hong Kongers have been handed over to the Yantian District prosecutors in accordance with the law. The 12 were captured by the Guangdong Coast Guard on August 23rd as they travelled on a speedboat. They were reportedly trying to make their way to Taiwan. Eleven of them had been facing prosecution in connection with anti-government protests, while one had been arrested but not charged under the national security law. While ten members of the group are now accused of entering the mainland's jurisdiction illegally, two face a more serious charge of organising the illegal crossing, prosecutors said earlier. Despite numerous attempts, relatives of the detainees have not managed to secure any visits with them, and lawyers appointed by the families have been refused access to those held. A man and a woman who have been jailed for three years and eight months in connection with violence that erupted at an event marking the death of university student Chelsea Locke during the protests last year. Natalie Ching reports. The two defendants, 59-year-old taxi driver Chen Ming Kui and 29-year-old Wang Yam Choi, who is unemployed, earlier pleaded guilty to charges of rioting and wounding with intent. The district court heard that a man came under attack by a group of people who gathered in Chengkwan O on the night of November the 9th last year, a day after the University of Science and Technology student died in hospital. Chao Ti Lok had been found seriously injured in a car park during a protest days before. The court also heard that the man had complained to the police about the noise made by the demonstrators, and he was attacked by the two defendants and others. In sentencing, District Court Judge Amanda Woodcock made it clear that while freedom of speech and freedom of assembly are people's constitutional right, they are not absolute. The judge also said violent attacks like these should not be tolerated by society, and a deterrent sentence is needed. Meanwhile, an inquest into Chow's death is currently underway amid lingering questions about the case. Constitutional and Mainland Affairs Secretary Eric Tsang has apologised for dozing off during Chief Executive Carrie Lam's policy address this week, saying he was unwell and under the influence of medication. Violet Wong has details. Mr Tsang told reporters that he recently had tonsillitis and had taken antibiotics and anti-inflammatory drugs which made him drowsy. 
but he said he was doing his best to support the chief executive by going to the Legislative Council for her address on Wednesday, in spite of advice from his doctor that he should take time off work. The minister added that he did not explain to his boss why he fell asleep, saying he thought it a trivial matter, adding that Mrs Lam had not asked about it either. I've been feeling a bit unwell, but I don't think it's so serious that it's affected my work. If I tried to bother the CE with such a minor matter, I think she'd be kept very busy. Earlier, Chief Secretary Matthew Cheung also came to Mr Deng's defence, saying he was probably too tired because he had a lot on his plate and had travelled a lot recently. The Constitutional Affairs Chief wasn't the only one who dozed off during the CE's policy speech, with Health Secretary Sophia Chen and catering sector lawmaker Tommy Cheung also struggling to keep their eyes open. Business and Professionals Alliance lawmaker Christopher Chung, meanwhile, was spotted using the time to sort out a delivery of hairy crabs. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Health authorities have warned of a possible coronavirus outbreak at the Hong Kong Sanatorium and Hospital. The SAR has recorded 92 new cases today, the highest daily figure in this fourth wave of infections. Wendy Wong has more. A 77-year-old woman who has stayed at a private hospital in Happy Valley since August and developed a fever on Wednesday tested positive for the virus the following day. She has since passed away. Two medical workers also tested preliminary positive for the virus. One of them was involved in the resuscitation of the patient. 13 patients who stayed in the same ward and more than 30 staff will be put under quarantine. Since the elderly patient had not left the hospital since August, officials are investigating whether she was infected by hospital staff or relatives who had visited her. Meanwhile, Dr. Chuan Shokwan of the Center for Health Protection said the overall coronavirus situation is worsening. She said it might take one to two weeks to see if the latest social distancing measures could flatten the curve. The number today is the higher since early November. We are, of course, worried about the trend. You can imagine if one patient infected two relatives, the number will double. If they go out during the communal period um, for some social activities, for example, they have meals with 10 friends, one patient may infect 10 other people. So the numbers can be escalating very fast. There are 72 cases linked to previous infections, including 58 that are linked to dance venues around the city. So far, 367 patients are linked to the dance cluster. Officials are unable to trace the source of infection for 17 people, including a student at a secondary school in Mong Kok. Teachers and students at the school are to be tested for COVID-19. About 60 others have tested preliminary positive for the virus, including a nurse at Princess Margaret Hospital. There are three imported cases involving people who flew in from Nepal, Russia and Brazil. The latest cases take Hong Kong's COVID-19 tally to 6,039. Former lawmaker Leung Kwok Hung has won an ultimate legal victory over his signature long locks. The court of final appeal ruled that requiring male inmates to cut their hair short constitutes sex discrimination. Here's Timmy Sung. Leung Kwok Hung's trademark long hair was trimmed when he was incarcerated in 2014. The former lawmaker, better known as Long Hair, argued that forced haircuts for men by the Correctional Services Department, or CST, amounted to discrimination, pointing out that female prisoners could wear their hair however they wanted. In a unanimous ruling, the top court said the fact that male inmates are denied a choice to their hair length suggests that they are treated less favorably than female prisoners. 
Lawyers for the CSD had said the practice was to ensure custodial discipline by applying conventional standards of appearance in Hong Kong society. But the Court of Final Appeal rejected this argument, saying it's difficult to see how a difference in treatment regarding the hair length between male and female inmates based on conventional standards has anything to do with custodial discipline. The judge said it's difficult to accept without a proper explanation why individual choice should be denied to male prisoners but not female ones, and what the selective denial of choice has to do with a de-emphasis on individuality anyway. They also said the CSD failed to prove that in Hong Kong society, men conventionally wore their hair short, while women had it both long and short. Mr. Leung originally won his case in 2017, but it was overturned a year later by the Court of Appeal. Speaking to reporters after the latest ruling, Mr. Leung said it was part of the fight for people's rights. Today, the justice has been done a bit in the courts, but I think the, the justice uh, needs to be done outside the court as well. We all are uh, longing for the political right for everyone to choose our legislature and chief executive uh, in universal service. Mr. Leung also said he hopes the rights of young protesters could be better protected. In response, the CSD says it respects the court's decision and will act in accordance with the ruling and relevant legal procedures. The Cathay Pacific Airways Flight Attendant Union has denounced the airline's decision to cancel its year-end negotiations with staff, saying the move deprives workers of their collective bargaining rights. Wang Yinting reports. According to the union, management described the annual exercise as old-fashioned and outdated in a video released on the company's intranet. The FAU says the year-end negotiations have been carried out for the past 10 years and act as a platform to discuss Kevin Crew's welfare, including flight schedule arrangements and the retirement age. The union, which represents 75% of CAFE's cabin crew, is demanding the airline continue with the dialogue. The FAU's vice chairwoman, Amber Soon, says cancelling the talks demeans the union and weakens its collective bargaining power. For the consequences of cancelling, permanently cancelling year-end negotiation, is that we no longer have a scheduled, regular negotiation opportunity with the company. So basically, whenever they feel like, they can meet with you. If they don't want to, then we don't have the chance. The union is also criticizing the airline's use of questionnaires to solicit views. The FAU's chairwoman, Suki Wong, says the participation rate in the questionnaire feedback session has been quite low because of fears of retribution. It's often that our staff do not hope to reveal their identity, therefore wanting the union to represent their voice. They are afraid of consequences. Ms. Wong says the government can't turn a blind eye to the situation after its $39 billion bailout of the struggling carrier earlier this year. The global aviation sector has taken a battering because of the coronavirus pandemic, with Cafe announcing the axing of thousands of jobs and the end of its Cafe Dragon affiliate, as well as requiring staff to sign new contracts, resulting in less pay and reduced benefits. Ms. Wong also called on the government to come up with legislation to protect the collective bargaining rights of all Hong Kong workers. 
Legislators from Taiwan's Kuomintang Party have thrown pig guts and exchanged punches with other lawmakers in Parliament. They were trying to stop the Premier taking questions in a bitter dispute over easing U.S. pork imports. Vicky Wong has details. President Tsai Ing-wen announced in the summer that from January, the government will allow imports of U.S. pork containing ractopamine. The additive enhances leanness but is banned on the mainland and in the European Union. Taipei's move removes a roadblock to a long-sought-after U.S. free trade deal for Taiwan. But the KMT strongly opposes the decision, tapping into public concern about food safety after several high-profile scandals in recent years. Since the latest session of Parliament began in mid-September, the KMT has protested by blocking Premier Su Chang from delivering regular reports and taking questions by occupying the podium. Fed up with the paralysis, the ruling Democratic Progressive Party decided they were going to ensure he could speak this time and formed a protective barrier around him as he made his way in. KMT lawmakers blew whistles, held banners and sounded air horns and as Mr Su got going, some threw buckets of pig guts his way and exchanged blows of Chen Po Wei from the small Taiwan State Building Party. Mr Su soon withdrew but later got back up to try and take questions and his words were drowned out by KMT lawmakers. The DPP condemned the protests saying the throwing of the pig guts was a waste of food that stank up the parliament floor and called for a return to rational debate. To sports now, with a look ahead to this weekend's action in the English Premier League, here's the BBC's John Bennett. There's no doubt about what the big game of the weekend is. Jose Mourinho takes his top-of-the-table Tottenham side to Stamford Bridge to face his former club Chelsea. Both of the London rivals look like realistic title contenders this season, so this is an early chance not only for local bragging rights, but also for what could, in May, turn out to be a crucial three points. Significantly, this is match number 1,000 of the Roman Abramovich era at Chelsea, which began in July 2003. The Chelsea owner was the man who first brought Mourinho to English football in 2004. Elsewhere, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp is unhappy about the kick-off time of their match against Brighton. It's the early game on Saturday, which means a tight turnaround following their defeat to Atalanta in the Champions League on Wednesday. Manchester City hosts Burnley, who finally got their first victory of the season last Monday. Manchester United will be looking to make it four wins in a row in all competitions, but it's a tough trip to Southampton. And after two games in the Premier League without a win, Arsenal have a difficult home game against Wolves. Meanwhile, the only two teams in the division who are yet to win this season meet at the Hawthorns as West Brom host Sheffield United. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Hospital staff are to lose pay over their strike in February. Sunjun police say they've handed 12 detained Hong Kongers over to prosecutors and Constitutional Affairs Chief Eric Tsung says it was medicine that put him to sleep during the CE's policy address this week. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Education Secretary Kevin Young says the government will not force students to take a field trip to the mainland as part of the revamped Liberal Studies curriculum. But he also says it will be up to individual schools to decide whether participation in the tour will count towards their grades at school. Jimmy Choi has the story. With secondary school students being forced to take a trip to the mainland under a reformed liberal studies curriculum, 
That's among the concerns raised by callers to an RTHK radio program one day after Mr. Young announced sweeping changes to the subject, including axing half of the original curriculum, changing the current seven-grade scoring system to a simple pass-and-fail system, and requiring students to take a trip across the border. If you force Hong Kong residents, including children, to take a field trip to the mainland, would that breach the basic law, which said Hong Kong residents enjoy freedom to enter or leave the SAR, meaning that they can decide on their own where they would like to go, one caller asked. The education chief said the government cannot force anyone to leave the SAR unless there is a legal basis, adding that the trip won't count towards the student's final grade in the DSE exam. However, he said it would be up to individual schools to decide whether the trip will count towards students' grades at schools. Mr. Yuan said details on how these study tours should be conducted will be finalized later. The details, I have to leave it to the Curriculum Development Committee to decide on what are the requirements and what are the arrangements. But in our plan, the part on the study tour to the mainland will not form uh, part of the DSE exam, so it will not be reflected in the results. He added that changing the assessment mechanism to pass or fail can help relieve students' pressure and allow them to reap more benefits from studying the subject. We think that it will further ease the students' pressure when facing the examination if we are using a pass and fail system. And for this particular subject, if they do not have the uh, a very strong pressure from the examination, it may further or provide them with the opportunities to further develop their analytical skills and also the skills of uh, assessing problems, problem-solving skills, all these um, type of things, which is maybe more important than uh, an exam. The education chief also played down criticism that the Education Bureau did not adopt recommendations made by the task force on review of school curriculum in September. After the panel carried out an almost three-year review on the overall curriculum for primary and secondary students, including the liberal studies subject, while the task force had proposed that the government trim the content of the subject, it also suggested retaining the existing seventh-grade scoring system. Mr. Yang denied putting politics about professionalism, saying the changes proposed by the bureau are largely in line with the task force recommendations. Jimmy Choi with that report. An infectious disease expert from the University of Hong Kong says the SAR will probably have to tighten its pandemic restrictions over the next few weeks. Professor Ivan Hung told Anna-Marie Evans that one new step would be limiting patient visits in hospitals. Now there's a suspected outbreak at the Hong Kong Sanatorium and Hospital. I think with the current rising trend, I think, in fact, all hospitals should probably tighten up in terms of the, uh, the number of visitors that could be allowed in the hospital. Uh, and probably uh, minimizing those to uh, really uh, needing the visitors to uh, to come in. Uh, for example, those who are really um, you know deteriorating and who are uh, you know at the probably the end of their lives, and uh, the relatives uh, should be allowed to to visit. But otherwise, uh, other visitors should probably be uh, forbidden to to uh, to pay a visit to the hospital. So, do, I mean, do, the rising trend, yeah. do private hospitals have a different uh, policy to government hospitals then? Well, I think currently they are applying the same kind of um, uh, measures in, in terms of visiting. So I think overall for both public and uh, private hospitals, the, uh, the measures should be tightened up. 
Now, we've got 92 today. Uh, that's the highest daily figure in this fourth wave of infections. I think it's the highest since August. So um, what's going wrong? Well, I think it's, it's just reflecting that currently the, uh, the number of cases is, is rising up. Uh, given that, of course, the, uh, if you see the, the first case of the, you know, the dancing, co- the dancing cohort, uh, the symptom onset was actually about two or three weeks ago. So we expect the, uh, the number of new cases to, to rise in the coming days. But what else would you like to see tightened up? Well, I think uh, several things, of course, uh, the current need, uh, I think the uh, in terms of the, the restaurants, of course, they should be tightened up to about four people uh, a table, which is uh, now ke- uh, already, uh, uh, you know, in place. Then, of course, perhaps that if the, the trends keep on rising, then perhaps the school uh, could be, um, you know, uh, could be uh, closed in terms of uh, resuming so-called, like, you know, the, the Zoom learning at home, uh, maybe for like two or three weeks, or maybe they will have an uh, early Christmas holiday as such. Yes, because I mean, the secondary school student is infected. So are you worried about virus outbreaks at schools? Uh, indeed, yes. Not just uh, the uh, COVID-19 and of course the rhinovirus outbreak is currently taking place as well. So uh, perhaps, uh, you know, um, having uh, homeschooling will be the, uh, the better measures uh, to control the, uh, the current wave. What else can we do? Well, I think other things, of course, including, uh, you know, uh, perhaps uh, um, I- increasing the number of people who could be uh, the, the capacity of testing for suspected cases, uh, you know, uh, ensuring, all, of course, the compulsory measures for uh, private, uh, the private GPs uh, to, to test suspected uh, individuals. Uh, and, of course, uh, other infection control measures, including, of course, um, having uh, you know a, a better distancing in terms of uh, in, in in restaurants, uh, and and of course uh, now already in in place is the the pubs have to be uh, uh, you know uh, to to be closed as such. I think these infection control measures should be in place. Professor Ivan Hong from the University of Hong Kong speaking to Anna Marie Evans. An innovative blood test that has the potential to detect more than 50 types of early-stage cancers will be offered to more than 140,000 patients in a world-first pilot between England's National Health Service and an American company, Grail, which is backed by the billionaires Elon Musk and Bill Gates. The BBC's Jim Reid has more on how the pilot would work. Cancer is split into four different categories, one to four, depending on the size of the tumour and how far it's spread around the body. So if you're diagnosed at the earliest stage, it's stage one, you're between five and ten times more likely to then live for five years than if you were diagnosed much later on in stage four. So that idea of diagnosing early is key here. And what this technology can do, what the National Health Service in England hope it can do, is to allow people to test much earlier in the process. So they're aiming here for people who are healthy, not people who are showing symptoms whatsoever. They're trying to offer these, so in this pilot, 140,000 people over three years. These tests once a year, it's a simple blood test, and that should pick up some early stage cancers in that group. This technology can apparently target around 50 different types of cancer. So it looks for a molecular marker, kind of a DNA marker in your blood 
that various tumours would put into your bloodstream if they're in, in your body. Now, there's certain particular types of cancer that this could be very useful for. So in particular, things like pancreatic cancer. Now, that's often diagnosed very, very late. But if you can identify something like pancreatic cancer much earlier in the process, at stage one or stage two, and that's very difficult to do with the technology we've got at the moment, if you can identify it then, there's a realistic chance of, of intervening using surgery, using chemotherapy to target that cancer at that stage. There are lots of people very supportive of this technology. There are other experts that we've spoken to that do say, look, we need to have a note of caution here. Now, one particular problem with, with any test like this are what are called false positives. And that is where someone tests positive for cancer in their system when it's not actually there. Now, the technology used by Grail is, is fairly effective. In clinical trials, it shows that about 1% of tests are false positives, which may not sound very much. And in fact, if you've got a small sample size of people, that's very manageable. Where it becomes a bigger problem is when you try to scale up these tests to whole populations. And that was the BBC's Jim Reid. Trade in October between North Korea and its main ally, China, has fallen by 90% compared to last year. Chinese customs data indicates that very few goods have crossed the once porous border, and there are concerns that North Koreans are facing a severe humanitarian crisis. The BBC's Laura Bicker is in Seoul. North Korea sealed its border with China in late January to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. But this blockade has also stopped the flow of essential supplies, including food and medicine. China accounts for over 90% of North Korea's trade. But in October, only 11 items made it into the country. There's very little chance goods are being smuggled in after a shoot-to-kill order was issued right along the border. Pyongyang has insisted it has no cases of COVID-19, but some reports suggest otherwise. As well as the effects of the pandemic, the country has been hit by severe weather, which destroyed vital crops. And strict economic sanctions remain in place to prevent the state from developing nuclear weapons. Leader Kim Jong-un has ordered his people to take part in an 80-day battle to pull together and boost the economy. But there are fears this will do little to prevent millions of North Koreans from going hungry this winter. Operation Santa Claus is now in full swing. Jointly organised by RTHK and the SCMP, this year it's supporting 19 charities. One of them is the Caritas Rehabilitation Service, which runs Project HOPE to help children with special educational needs and their parents. Radio 3's Angie Mann talked to project organiser Chris Yip and also one of its beneficiaries. Alicia is my daughter. She was a premature baby and was diagnosed with developmental delay at one year old. I was overwhelmed then. I did spend quite a long time to accept the fact. What changed me most when taking care of Alicia was her swallowing disorders. Since she can't drink water and milk in a mouthful way, I can do nothing but feed her drop by drop with a needle. Also, with problems in muscles, she found it quite difficult to learn how to sit and crawl. And again, as a premature baby, she had breathing problems and can't do without an oxygen mask for 14 months in the near past. I was bombarded with fatigue and mental pressure. Few can survive what I went through, I think. My real wish... I did wish to have a tight sleep.
The ultimate concern of Project Hope is to bring happiness to both parents and kids during the process of overcoming their difficulties. Firstly, it aims to maximize and enhance the functional abilities of children with SEM so as to prepare them for future integration in the mainstream school. Secondly, it helps to maximize and enhance the threat coping abilities of parents in taking care of children with SEM. Lastly, it aims to promote mutual support and help among the parents. And how's money from Operation Santa Claus helping your project? That money from OSC helped to provide quality early intervention programs to our infants with SEN at three levels. With the procurement and improvement on sensory integration equipment and infant training materials, more quality early intervention programs could be tailored for at least 100 aged below 4 years old children with SCN in this golden period. It helps to lay more solid foundation for their functional abilities and their future integration in the mainstream school. In the long run, the setup of SI room and infant playroom will continuously benefit the forthcoming children with SCN of the center. Secondly, professional consultation and parent group will be provided so as to lower their stress level and enhance their stress coping ability in taking care of children with SEM. Meanwhile, mentor group on peer support will be organized to promote mutual help and networking amongst parents with SEM children. Yes, we both have got great support. Say, I'm much relieved mentally, and Alicia also has improvement step by step. I owe great thanks to the center. I hope my daughter could have a full recovery and enjoy a happy life ahead. That was Chris Yip, Social Work Supervisor of Caritas Rehabilitation Service and organiser of Project HOPE. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa Claus 2020, please visit the Radio 3 homepage or osc.scmp.com. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. The show's not over, there's more It's time for music nostalgia And all the songs you adore For special requests For fine old melodies Of records or cassettes We're stirring up old memories You know the timing is right it's what your radio's for With Uncle Ray Cadero Nostalgic memories for sure Welcome to Nostalgia with Ray Cadero from now until 1 a.m. Radio 3 January to December We'll have moments to This is the start of it, the start of nostalgia from now until 1am. This is our kind of music.
for you from now until 1 a.m. 